Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello and welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series brought to you by uh, the Think Red Ink Ministries in Pytown, New Mexico. I'm Don Harris, your host. I'm glad to have you here. If you've been a part of the shows uh, for the past few weeks, um, there's been a lot to think about, hasn't there? And if you haven't been, um, we invite you to uh, avail yourself of, of those materials. We're going to do everything we can to make these things available to you. So if you'd like to be part of the family, uh, it's simple as going to thinkredink.com. You can register there as, uh, to be a part of this uh, well, we call it a family. It's not really a church, just a group of people that want to serve the Lord and want Him to be pleased with them. Um, but um, I'd like you to be a part of it, and if you register, um, I uh, have a, uh, an email we call the RLE Zine, and, um, and you can receive that every month. And you can find out what we're doing, different events that are going on here, and... and uh, I always try to write a little article in there or something that may uh, may help you as we go along. That's that's what we do. And um, I, I'm just convinced that the more we get to know our Savior, the more we get to know His words and what He had to say and the life that He lived and the friends that He had and the enemies that He had, we get to know Him. And um, I think that that's, I think that's pretty rare. Um, we were talking last time about have, you know believing and uh, the difference between uh, uh, believing and alone and works alone or them coupled together or whatever. And, you, and you'll be hard-pressed as a Bible student to find uh, faith and works uh, absolutely separated because uh, you know faith requires works. It's, it's, without it, it's dead. And uh, so... I just don't think we need to treat works like a cuss word and, uh, and say that, uh, you know, it's, it's not by works. As I said in, in my travels, in my experience, I have never met anybody who thought they could work their way to heaven. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses are condemned for that all the time. People say they think they can work their way to heaven. Well, have you ever asked one if that's true? Um, because uh, you'll find that uh, there's just, you know, they're accused of a lot of things that, uh, that they ought not be accused of. And, um, and that's one of them. They believe that, uh, that a person of faith ought to work. Well, so do I. And so uh, we have some things in common. Uh, nevertheless, um, the idea of faith and works is uh, always a, a problem because of people's definitions of these things. And um, I just think it's interesting in the story that we told um, before, Jesus decided to teach um, the followers that were there on the beach that day. He decided to teach them by um, uh, standing or sitting or whatever. How, well, I don't know what position he took, but he was in uh, Peter's boat. Peter pushed out from the shore a little bit. And, uh, and he preached to them. Well, they were done. Jesus said, uh, all right, Pete, I want to I I pay you for the use of your boat. And, um, and he says, well, uh, we just push out there and, 
and uh, let's let's let the net drown for a draft of fishes. And he says, eh, we can if you want to, but I'm telling you, I've been out there all night, and we took nothing. And he said, come on, let's go give it a shot. <laughs> and so they go out there, and um, they end up almost sinking his and his and his partner's boats, um, uh, trying to get this draft of fishes in. Well, when Peter realizes that uh, this guy that was preaching on his boat all this time, you know, Peter, he doesn't care. He's over there mending nets and pulling the flotsam and jetsam out of the nets and cleaning them up and getting them ready for tomorrow. And so he's over there, you know, picking nasty stuff out of the net and smelling like a fisherman, no doubt, breaking out in an early morning sweat. And uh, Jesus is over there just to preach it. And uh, you know he was listening to whatever was being said. But he put him into this category of uh, you know, a religious guy. You know, he's a, he, maybe he's a zealot. Maybe he's a libertarian. Maybe he's, I don't know. You know, he's got something to sell. He's got, you know, got something stuck in his craw. But Peter was hardly interested. Uh, oh, I, I say so. I, I don't know these things. I'm just trying to put pants on the scripture if it's all the same to you. And... Uh, so I, you know, I see Peter's over there just kind of minding his own business and doing his work, getting ready to go home and get some rest. And um, I'm sure that he listened to different points that Jesus had to say and certain things that uh, might have been uh, a different sort of, well, he'd not heard it before. And, you know, that's interesting or this is interesting or whatever. He grew up in the Jewish culture. You know, he wasn't ignorant about the things of God. But... Um, Boy, oh boy, when Jesus came down to where he lived, he realized, I'm not going to get through to this guy with intellect or with my seminary knowledge <laughs> or with anything spiritual. Uh, I don't know. I, maybe I could get through him, get to him if I made it rain or made it stop raining or something like that. But outside of that, I don't think this guy's going to pay attention. Well, he killed two birds with one stone. He felt like he owed him a debt on the boat. And uh, so he says, come on, let me pay you for using your boat. <laughs> Push out here and let's let down that net. I just got done cleaning this net. Come on. <laughs> okay. We ought to do this. So they go out and they let that net down. And holy mackerel. I guess that would be holy mackerel, wouldn't it? Uh and he lets the, he lets this net down, and it's so full he can't draw it into the boat. He starts hollering to his friends back on shore. They jump in their boat and paddle out there to him. Help me, help me, help me. And so they, they help him get the fish into his boat. And uh, when the fish finally get in the boat, they fill it. Well, there's still fish in the net. And so they bring another boat around, and they fill it up. Well, they, they continue to do this until... Their boats started to sink. And, um, well, all of a sudden, Jesus got to him. And the Bible says that he came over and he fell at his feet. This wasn't an acknowledgement of a really good fisherman. It wasn't like, you know, here, meet... Uh, Meet uh, Eli. Uh, he's, uh, he's been a fisherman out there on this lake for 
of, you know, 50 years. He knows where all the fish are. He's, he's a wonderful man. Okay, you can go with us. And they go out there, and Eli says, this is a great place to throw. And so they throw the net, and they get a, a draft of fishes. And he says, wow, that's great. You're really good at what you do. Thank you so much. Let me pay you. Let me, let me help you. You're coming with us tomorrow, right? You can hear all these things happen. If you're talking about a man. But Peter was convinced this is more than a man. This is more than anything I've ever encountered. This was supernatural. This man is in command of nature. What did they say about Jesus when he calmed that storm? He says, what manner of man? What manner of man is this? Not who is this. What kind of a man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Peter was fully convinced that this was not a regular old guy in shoe leather. He fell down and... Uh, on his knees before him, grabbed him around the feet and said, depart from me. Go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. Not only did he ascribe this power that Jesus evidently exercised here to, um, to Jesus and... Uh, and if can I use the term uh, he didn't he didn't ascribe it to him as a magic trick. He didn't ascribe it to him as some kind of talent that he had or even a supernatural talent that he had. He ascribed it to the living God that Peter has loved all of his life and been very familiar with with by way of the scriptures and by way of his lifestyle there in in um, in Jerusalem. Now, Peter had different kinds of problems, but um, you have to remember, Peter was called. He was called. And when Peter was called here, his answer was, I'm a sinful man. I'm just afraid that the calling of God that is on people's lives today is somewhat less than what we're seeing in the scriptures. One of the reasons why I set out on this quest to find a a true and a a lasting and a a logical Christianity was because of the disparity of what what I experienced personally and certainly what I saw of other people in the Christian world and how different it is between, uh, you know, what's going on today and what I actually see in the scriptures. Well, This is the case here as well. When God calls a man, there is something in him that immediately, somehow a light comes on. And we're able to see just how uh, degraded we've become, how degenerate we've become. We can see ourselves in a light of holiness that just scares the living socks off of us. And it's, it's a very, very frightening thing. But I want you to know that it is, if I can use the word natural, it's a very natural thing. We have an understanding within us 
that if we find ourselves in the presence of God, as Peter did, in the presence of God, as you will one day, when you awake from your sleep, you know that's the first thing that happens to us when we awake from the dead? We see the glory of God. Hmm, I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. I guess it'll depend, won't it? But as Peter found himself in the presence of God, and just the thought in the mind of the drunk in the gutter, I was giving you the example, in the mind of that guy, when, you, when he just entertains the idea of becoming Christian, going God's way, cleaning up his life, we, we even use the term turning over a new leaf. It becomes apparent to that person that there are changes to be made. And I'm afraid that modern Christianity has taught us to try to downplay that situation so that people don't think about that. We want to downplay that situation so that people don't consider for a moment how far they are from God. And, uh, and if they start talking about cleaning up their lives, we, we actively stop them from doing that. And I, and I don't understand why. It is a very natural thing for us to see, us see ourselves in God's light. Here's what's happened to us now. We have become a... Uh, a, a people, the Christian people, have become a people who have bypassed righteousness. They have bypassed the law, bypassed uh, the judgment of God, and jumped square straight into New Testament, so called New Testament Christianity. Paul says that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. This is why the law is presented before a man's face whenever he considers making his way God's way or, or trying to, to eliminate that enmity between him and God, that we have peace with God. When, when that thought occurs to him, the first thing that happens to him is he sees himself in the light of the law. That is not an unnatural thing. That's not the devil. It's not the devil trying to, to take somebody off into some legalism or anything. I've heard that. And I'm thinking, really? Do you really believe that it's the devil's ministry to introduce God's holy law to people? Do you really think that that's his ministry now? That uh, when a person doubts their salvation, that's just the devil. Really? That's the devil's ministry now to tell people that they need to be saved? It's insanity. But we do it all the time. We say it all the time. We don't care if it makes sense. It sounds cool. Churches are full. What's your problem? Got more people going to my church than go to yours. And this is the way we feel. <laughs> well... I think what we need to do is just quit looking at, at majorities and numbers of people and look at what the scriptures say. You think Peter was wrong? You think he was scolded for bringing up the fact that he was a sinful man? You think that Jesus, ah, don't worry yourself with that. 
Eh, you know, you catch them, I'll clean them, right? <laughs> no, no, no. That, all these things get dealt with in time. It's just that, what's the underlying false doctrine here? Instantaneous salvation. Saved by faith alone and not by works. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, faith without works. They believe you're saved by faith without works. The Bible clearly saying all along, faith without works is dead. So you're being saved by dead faith. Underlying foundational false doctrine. It doesn't allow us to even think this way. And that's why these things have to be erased. You can't find it in the scripture. You owe it to yourself and everybody around you, and certainly the people that you will eventually minister to, to erase these doctrines that you don't find in scripture. To quit saying things that you don't hear said in scripture. Uh, it, it's our only safe bet, if you will. It's, it's, really, it's really the right way to do this. And um, I, just, I think that we're making a huge mistake by, uh, I don't know, do we think we're translating the Bible into English when we say silly little things like that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to think people's motives are wicked, that they teach false doctrine for the sake, for the purpose of, of damning people. I can't believe that. I mean, I'm sure there, that might be the case somewhere but not the majority of cases. This is people out here that love the Lord. They want a relationship with him. And they don't understand that all that comes over the pulpit is not the word of God. And they, they just can't believe that that preacher would tell them something that's not true. Again, do I believe that that preacher has ill intention toward his congregation that I'm going to, you know, where are you going? Well, it's Sunday. I'm going to go up and deceive them people. <laughs> no, I don't believe that. I think that his intentions are good. I don't think his methods are good. His theology stinks. His doctrine stinks. And I don't know what else we're going to get over the pulpit from somebody who has these foundational problems other than bad doctrine. But his intention? No, he loves people. He wants the best for them. I don't know. I don't understand why he knows something to be the truth and not preach it. Knows something to be false and preach it anyway. I don't understand that. He'll have to answer to God for that, not me. Um, but we're willing to teach fantasy. We're willing to allow people to play with other gods. We're, we allow people, well, you know, I, I realize you feel like, you know, thou, thou shalt not steal. But after all, I mean, this is, this is like the IRS, I mean, really, is there a problem here? You know, you're cheating on your income taxes a little bit. You know, come on, it's the IRS. It's not really a person. Or um, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's pad this bill on the insurance a little bit. Let's just, let's just get all we can get out of this. Well, yeah, but that's stealing. That's not stealing from anybody. That's just stealing from a corporation. Where do these ideas come from? They're justifications. Preachers teach, the, teach us to justify. Uh, our friends certainly teach us to justify. And I think within ourselves, we have the ability to do it with our eyes closed. Um, but we don't need to be justifying uh, our wrongdoing. What we need to do is, is fall at the feet of the Savior and say, I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. I'm a sinful man. Uh, but what you'll find is, is if you do that, um, 
Well, the only thing you're going to find in Scripture is um, him appreciating the fact that you're not going your way now, you're going to go his way. He says, I appreciate it so much, as a matter of fact, that uh, if you'll do that, I'll never remember anything you've ever done wrong. That's just a heck of a promise, folks. I want that promise. I, I want that in my life. So how do I do? Tell me again. How do I get that? Where he won't remember anything I've ever done wrong? How do I get that? By keeping his commandments. By doing what he says is right and orderly and decent and just. Not necessarily what you think is. Now, that's a good deal. I want that. So I'm going to pursue that. I do find that um, there are people that feel like that uh, salvation comes in, comes in the midst of our sin. It comes while we are in sin. Uh, and if you believe in instantaneous salvation, you have to believe that. But you know, there, is a, there, there are improvements we can make on our life that please the Lord. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to be chosen of God. How are we going to be chosen of God if it's not to please Him every day? So when a person comes to Christ, so to speak, when they come to that point in their life saying, you know what, I'd really like to make some differences in my life, um, then we have to be able to tell them how to answer this call on their life. We talked about uh, oh, several shows back. We were talking about in the book of Revelation, it talks about the, uh, when he describes a certain group of people to John, he says these are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. And remember I was telling you that there is not a thing in the world you can do about God calling you. That's, that's him. That's uh, his sovereign business. That is what he does. He decides who to call and who to, who to collect and who to reject. You know, like that kind of talk? That's him speaking, not me. Yeah, you know, I'm the Lord God. I, I'll accept who I accept and I reject who I reject. It's none of your business. Um, and, you know, as, as tough as that might be, what we need to focus on is, have I been called? Well... After you've decided that you have indeed been called, and if you have a desire within yourself to make these things right, I assure you, people that, that have not been called, they don't have that. They couldn't care less. Um, but uh, there are many who are called that are not Christian. I want to say that as well. But if you are called, this, the next thing you need to know is how to answer that call. Now, I'm afraid that um, modern Christianity just does not give us that answer. They don't teach us this. They, well, sometimes they, they feel like they're teaching us this when they say, well, you know, they give the universal answer, I call it. It doesn't matter. I got trouble with uh, smoking pot. I got trouble with filthy language. I got trouble with pornography. I got trouble with alcohol. I got trouble with whatever it is. Well, you need to get saved, brother. I mean, that's what they'll tell you. Well, you know, nice answer, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, next. <laughs> Has anybody, got, anybody else here got an opinion? I don't even understand what this guy says when he says you need to get saved. 
You know why? He doesn't understand either. He just says you need to come to my church. That's what he's trying to tell you. Um, but that is, in a lot of people's minds, the answer to the call is to get saved. Now, it goes off into some pretty wild stuff from this particular point and departs the scripture miserably in a lot of cases. I uh, had a collection of tracks one time that I'd collected from all over. You know, they leave them on gas pumps and then leave them on counters and they put them in little, you've seen them, they're all over the place. And uh, looking for one that actually, actually said what the scriptures say. And uh, boy, that is not easy to find. Um, but I'm always, I'm always drawn to, uh, there, there's a story in the scriptures where a question was asked that is the very question to which we want an answer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It was asked four different times. It's recorded in three different gospels. All answered the same way every time. And most people do not know how, that, how Jesus answered the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you ask a thousand preachers, you'll pretty much get 999 identical answers. But I assure you, not one of them will tell you what Jesus actually said. Um, I, we're going to talk about that when we get to that scripture. But... Do you know what he said? Do you know how he said to answer this call? Do you know how he said to inherit eternal life? Some of you are not going to like this answer. But again, it's not me. It's, it's Jesus, the one you say you worship. It's the one you say you love. It's your Savior. Yeah, him, the Son of God. He said this, not me. He said, keep the commandments. No, he didn't. And even if he did say that, he meant something else. No, I'm afraid not, friend. As a matter of fact, he reiterated. He had an opportunity to crawfish on this and say, well, yeah, keep the commandments, but you got to have faith, you know, I mean, because it's all by faith and not by works. No, 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 he didn't say that at all. What did he say? When the young boy that asked the question Ask him about what must I do to inherit eternal life. He said, keep the commandments. He says, I've done that from my youth. How did Jesus answer? Yeah, that's right. This do, and thou shalt live. It is obvious that keeping the commandments of God put us into this place of safety. We've been calling it saved. But it's not being made sound. It's not being regenerated. It is being made saved safe. We gotta go. Time's up. I'm so sorry. You've been watching the Words of Jesus series brought to you by Think Red Ink Ministries. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email at don at thinkredink.com or you can write to Think Red Ink Ministries, P.O. Box 718, Hightown, New Mexico, 87827. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Don C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Email don at thinkredink.com.
That's thinkredink.com. Join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.